listening to Cooper Talk. Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. I got to tell you, I'm very excited to have my uh, gentleman on my show today. Because one, he's a fellow New Jersey guy. I don't know if it's New Jerseyite or New Jerseyan. Maybe he can tell me. He's also uh, he's a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And his band, The Wonderful Winos, have a show in, I believe, Tom's River this Saturday. And my guest is Vinny Mad Dog Lopez. How you doing, Vinny? I'm doing just fine. How are you today? I'm good. good. So, so is it? Is it? Do you know? Is it? A, are we Jerseyites or Jersey Inns? Have you ever thought about that? Uh, I'm I'm just from New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about Ites or In or anything like that. So that's where I'm from, New Jersey. So, uh, so Neptune. Y- you're from Neptune. So, um. What was it? What was what was Jer- what was your area of Jersey like growing up? Because you know Neptune's near Asbury. It's gone through a lot of ups and downs. What was what was your childhood like in uh, Neptune? Well, I lived in Neptune, and uh, I went to school at a Catholic school in Asbury Park. So I took a. They didn't have no school bus, so we took the regular bus in a bunch of kids and went through all the grades there with a bunch of friends, you know, and. Uh, where I lived was just a regular neighborhood. I had a lot of friends. We all played. Yeah, that's basically it, you know. Just went to school, tried to do good, you know. Like Elvis Presley when I was a little kid. So I was in a drum and bugle corps, and uh, I'd play my bugle along with Elvis when I got a chance. <laughs> what What made you pick up an instrument? Was it just because was there music in your household, or was it just? Because you loved Elvis, or what made you actually pick up the bugle? Well, my uncle Joe was—he uh, was a, a chaplain at a VFW post in Neptune, and uh, he said, "Hey, you know they have a—it a, was a fife and drum band at the time, the Shoreliners, we were called." And he, you know, he said, "They want kids to join if you want to join." So I said, "Sure, let's do it. I'm in." And uh, they gave me a bugle, and I started to play it, and I got better at it. So, so when did drums come into your life? Uh, that was that was later on. Um, I was in eighth grade, Holy Spirit School, Asbury Park, and my friend Augie Rioli, and he's my doctor today. Okay, I think <laughs> it got him my blood work. Uh, <laughs> he. Uh, said, hey, you know, they're having a teenage dance over at the USO Club, right around the corner from where we were at the school. Now, I lived in Neptune, so I would have to take the bus, but I could get a later bus. There was buses all the time. I had all the tokens. So I said, yeah, let's go. So we went over, and as we were walking up to the where the dance was, uh, I heard the music, and it sounded live to me. But when I got up there, I noticed and realized that it was a guy playing drums along with records. And he had two turntables. He was a DJ. But he played constant music and played drums along with every song. And I just stood there watching him. And eventually I talked to him and I got a job with him. Helping him clean up the records, helping him put the drums in his car, that kind of stuff. You know, so... He eventually let me sit down at the drums. He showed me how to hold the sticks, and I just played along with records when he had to like do what he had to do. You know, had to go to the bathroom every once in a while, and uh, I learned by listening to records from Buzzy Lubinsky. He started me off playing the drums. His father was uh, Herman Lubinsky of Savoy Records fame. He was uh, he, his father was the dude in the day. Yeah, you know, it's funny, I, I'm thinking of this as you tell the stories, and I'm the same way. People, I think, I don't know if it's a New Jersey thing, but we always mention people's names. We always give credits. Like, you always say, I'll say, oh, yeah, I was playing ball in my backyard with my friend Steve Polinsky. Like, you've mentioned your friends. And I think it's great that we remember that they have an impact on us, and, and we share that. Oh, you got it. Yeah, but, but if, if it wasn't for Buzzy, I wouldn't be playing the drums. I wouldn't be playing the bugle either. I'd probably be a mortician like my uncle Joe. <laughs> so, so you start playing the drums. When do you feel you're start you're starting to get good, where you can start getting in bands? 
I haven't got to that feeling yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it's always a learning experience. <laughs> no, I, I uh, right after I started just sitting down every once in a while and playing the drum, uh, like, you know, I met Bill Chinnick. I met Sonny Ken at Teenage Dances. And uh, we started playing. And I was in a band all of a sudden and singing. And it was uh, just the way it progressed. And since then, 1964, I've always been playing in a band. What was the music scene like back in, in your area, back when you started out? I mean, now Asbury has had, you know, you, know, you were in the E Street Band and you know, Southside Johnny came out. But what was it like when you started out? Was there a vibe? Was there a good scene going? Or did that build as you were in the scene? Well, we were young guys, you know, and we eventually got our ABC cards, which allowed us to play in, in bars and stuff. But we mainly played at, like, let's say, um, Mammoth Shopping Center. You know, we had our band and we auditioned to get a gig up there and they liked us. So all the shows they would have at Mammoth Shopping Center. Hold on one second here. All the shows that they did at Mama Shopping Center, whoever it was, uh, we opened for Jerry Lee Lewis. We opened for the Bo Brummels on the stage at, at the Shopping Center, and it, it was fun. But we went, you know, all over the place trying to get gigs, you know, for Sunny and the Starfires, and we eventually ended up being house band at Asbury Park Hullabaloo. But there was bands everywhere. There were places for bands to play. There was places, eventually the upstage came around where young people could go and play with other musicians. You know, you didn't go in there and play with your band. You went in there and, you know, if you went into upstage, you know, with your band, Tom would say, oh, what do you play? And you say, well, I play guitar. You go, okay, well, Benny's sitting over there. He's a house drummer. Go sit with Benny. And he sang, and he'd send another bass player over there, and the three of us, or keyboard guy, would go up and we'd have two songs that we could do. Yeah, you know, what do we all want to do? And do them. So it was a jam place, but mainly a place for guitar players and clicks. All this, you know, they came. Guitar players came to bump each other off, and the clicks disappeared because everybody got to meet each other. It was a good thing. Nothing like that now. It's funny, clicks. Are, you know, it's funny how people do want to help each other. I, I for. 10 years, I was a professional stand-up comic, and I started out in the Philadelphia area, and we were all so supportive of each other. You know, we always helped each other. Now, again, when we were on stage, we wanted to blow that person off the stage, but off stage, we'd say, okay, you know, you got to go to this booker. I think it's so important when you when you have that support system. Oh, absolutely. You need a, a support system of all who you're playing with, you know, and I got to know a lot of different guitar men and stuff and i was lucky enough to get to play with a few of them and uh you know very cool now how did you meet bruce well i was in a band uh it was, it was bill chinnick myself danny federici and uh a fellow named wendell on bass and we were the downtown tangiers rocking rhythm and blues band and we were playing around and uh, all Bill's original music we did, you know. Now something happened between the bass player and Bill, and the band was no more. So Danny and I still wanted to play together, and we were around saying, well, we got to do original stuff. You know, we wanted to do, back to do original music like we were doing. It was, it was cool. We weren't in all the gym bills. We were playing in different places, college gyms and stuff like that. And uh, so eventually, I went to a place to hear this guy, Bruce, who I had heard about, because he was in the Castiles. Didn't know who he was when he was in the Castiles, but he became more popular with his guitar, and he was playing with his band Earth. Um, so I went to see him and with his band Earth, and they were playing uh, at a place in Long Branch, New Jersey. And... Uh, unbeknownst to me but I went up to him and I'm one of their breaks and I said hey I'm Vinny he goes yeah I know who you are you play with Sonny 
you know, and he says because we, and he used to go watch Sonny play because Sonny was is a, still is a great guitar player. So, uh, but I said, you know, I said, hey, you know, me and my friend Danny were kind of, you know, trying to want to form a band, and uh, you know, we go down the upstage, why don't you come down the upstage and we can jam and see what's going on, and that's exactly what happened a few weeks, three weeks, four weeks later. Me and Danny went upstairs, and there was Bruce jamming. And uh, he was playing with Little Vinny and Big Bobby, the other house drummer at the upstage. And uh, when they got done, me and Danny went up and talked to those guys. Tom Potter let us jam again. And we became child. That was it. We became a band right there. So then from there, child, you became Steel Mill? Steel Mill. So how what was what was how did that happen? Was it I know there was a problem with the name. Why just switch names? Well, some other band had the name. They, we didn't know it at first, but then they they had an album out, so we went, oh, might we better change our name? You know, they were all sitting around a big table one night at the uh, Inkwell in Long Branch, and uh, my friend Chuck Dillon was there, and everybody's trying to think of a heavy name like Led Zeppelin. You know, what are we gonna be? What are we gonna be? And Chuck said, Well, Steel Mill. Everybody kind of stopped, looked around, and said, hey, you know, that's a pretty good name. You know, it wasn't locomotive or, or whatever, <laughs> however else you'll do. You know. But Steel Mill became became us. And then later on, Van Zant also became the bass player of Steel Mill later on. So so when did you and morph later, When did you morph to the, the E Street Band? And I saw in an article you said it is not E Street Band, it's the E Street Band. I saw, I read, you said that in an article. And I agree with you, because I always say, and I think the the should be capitalized, because I hate this little bullshit when they put a little T-H-E. No, the, it's Bruce Springsteen and the, it should be capital. Does that irk you? <laughs> I read an article, and you said, it's not East Street Band, it's the East Street Band. Well, yeah, I, I, can't, I don't know. Probably foolish when I do that, because what do I know? <laughs> I was just in the East Street Band, you know, I, I don't know. So, but, you know, I know when we, when I go to the Rock Hall, which I'm privileged to be in, uh, it says, the East Street Band, you know. <laughs> so, I like it. Uh, I don't know. There's a, there's a lot of stuff that they do. So it's, you know, to me, it's like Bruce Springsteen, East Street Band. It's not, they're not, it's like, like they're not conjuncted. They're they not synonymous. Conjuncted. It's not like they, they go together. Yeah, it's like you don't you know. call you call it, yeah. It's like just saying peanut butter jelly. No, it's peanut butter and jelly. It's the it's you got to do that. Spelling. <laughs> yeah, even P P B and yeah. yeah. So, uh, <laughs> what was the early days like with the East Street Band? What was it like when you guys were getting your footing up? I mean, how was the crowds reacting? How was your the writing and the sessions? Because you know, I, I listened to. I know you were on the first two albums. I listened to them, and they're such great albums. And, I mean, the first one's just amazing. But what was it like in those early days when you guys were getting your shit together and you're getting out there and you're playing and you're trying to get a record deal? It was uh, a lot of work to, to do it. And uh, we didn't, you know, that's our first real touring. You know, we did Steel Mill played in a few different places, but it wasn't really touring. We had our truck, and we went all around. Out there doing, we did dates with Chicago, you know, many dates, actual tour. That that was fun, and there you get a reaction. And our, you know, like we were just thinking stuff like, uh, "Well, look at this, we're playing with Chicago, and there's all these people at Madison Square Garden, and we're we go out on the stage, and if we can hit like a tenth of one percent of all the people that are there, we did something, you know." But we touched a few more people than that, I think, which, you know, which was, was good. You know, and Chicago helped us just going out and playing, opening for different acts that we did. They didn't necessarily like us, but, you know, it helped us out because if a certain portion of that audience liked us, that was a good thing. And uh, we reached our share of people, so... Now, as a drummer, how do you acclimate going from, you know, a bar to a big arena? Because 
I always say the drummer and the bass section are like in baseball. They're like the middle of the infield. You need it. You know, so you're you're the driving force. I mean, do you have to play bigger when you're at a, at, let's say, Madison Square Garden compared to a, you know, a, a Jersey Shore bar like the Wonder Bar? I mean, what? How do you how do you acclimate when you were in that part of your career? Well, at this point, you know, like every once in a while, uh, like when Bruce is playing now, I, I'll get to play a little bit, and that's the big stage, and. Like Max uses the in-ear stuff. Me, I'm used to. Uh, me, I'm used to the um, hearing a monitor over here. So what happens is, if they know I'm coming and I'm going to play one, they put a little monitor up there for me on the big stage, just so I can hear certain things. I don't have to hear everything. I like to hear vocals. You know, I like to hear course the bass i don't necessarily have to hear the drum but guitar lead i like to hear sax if i can hear that stuff i know where i am in the song you know now at the wonder bar sometimes it's harder there to hear than than anywhere else because you have to get your stage volume and all of that stuff right compared to the monitors and you know for some reason, they like putting the drummers in the back, so I don't do that anymore. <laughs> I set up right in the front with all the guys and have fun with, you know. So, and then I get the, I don't even need a monitor at that point. I hear all the front monitors, I'm good. I can hear all that they need to hear, you know. So, so okay, when we started really doing it, we didn't have monitors. There was not such thing as a monitor system. I mean, they were, but we couldn't afford it. Now, now you guys are playing. You're opening for Chicago. You know when when does the industry start taking notice? Because sometimes the industry doesn't notice at all. You know, that's like it's that's why it's called the industry. That's why you know they they just sometimes they're blind to talent. But when did you really start getting noticed? The the the, the well, industry thing. You know, Clive Davis was a big. Uh, he loved Bruce, you know, and he was he was big with it. Uh, the industry. Not while I was there. <laughs> they didn't notice. But they might have noticed uh, after Born to Run or something like that. But it took those years for them to get that straight, you know. As far as I can tell, I don't know. I'm just a drummer. You know, they keep me in the back for a reason. They, now, Clive gave you the name Mad Dog. Well, why, did they, why did they call you Mad Dog? Was it your drumming style or what was it? Or were you just rabbit or what was well, if Bruce walked into my door right now, he'd say, he'd, call, he'd say, hey, Lope, how you doing? Because he calls me Lope or a Loper, you know. Now he calls, but it, we had Dr. Zoom in the side room. After there was Steel Mill, it was an interim before the Bruce Springsteen band, so we had a band called Dr. Zoom in the side room, and everybody we knew was in this band. Everybody had to have a nickname. You know, John Lyon became Southside Johnny. You know, Bobby Williams became Big Bobby Williams. You know, I became Mad Man. Mad Man Drummers Bumpers. I became Mad Man. So, no more Mad Man. We did the first album. If you look on the first album, Vincent Loper Lopez on there. Okay, so now we were playing out in L.A., and uh, we were doing, uh, I forget the club, where was it, one of them places, I don't know, what anyway, uh, our set didn't go off right, the Bruce's guitar amp didn't work, but we played some acoustic stuff before that, and then, and then I was coming down off the stage, all my clothes had been stolen, and Clive Davis was standing and I had I had had to go to Salvation Army that day, and I bought chalky silks, and I had some Yankee pants on with some tall socks and some sneakers and a red bowler that I got. That's a nice one, a real nice red bowler. And uh, he goes, Vinny, you look, you look like a circus tonight. What happened? So I told him, you know. And he says, well, that's a shame. Your clothes got stolen. But he says, listen, I got a question. He says, back 
before all this, you had you guys uh, had a band and you all had nicknames. I said, yeah. He said, what was your nickname? And I said, well, I was Madman. Madman, he goes, nice, just from now on, you're Mad Dog. <laughs> and I went, you know, then I said, gee, thanks, I better take karate. You know, <laughs> so I can block them when they're coming in. <laughs> now, back, back on the first, the first two albums, first album, what was it like recording in the studio? What was it like, you know, were they long sessions or what was, you know, because the songs... Because it's such a different mix of songs. There's long songs, there's short songs. But what was it like for you guys to be in the studio? Because I'm sure as a musician, if you're not used to getting funding for a label, it must be a little bit different. Well, in the first album was done pretty quickly. And mostly on that album, it's me and Bruce. And Bruce playing most everything else. You know, there's songs that Gary plays on, there's songs that Clarence came and played on, whatever. But it's mainly Bruce doing all the bass parts, you know. So that part, all the basic stuff, we we knew. All the other guys, that we, I mean, we rehearsed, we knew the song, but they weren't there. They were other other places. So that one went pretty quick, like a week. The second album, now we're all the band. And we're on the road still. So we get three days off, go to the studio and record. So that's the way that, that was. Me and I, you know, I didn't like commuting. Like we'd have three days off. So it's a two hour ride from where we live at the shore up to the studio. So I had this old army tent, big one. And uh, me and Clarence just stayed in the army tent behind the studio up at 914 there, you know. There was a diner right next door. You couldn't go wrong. You know, we were we were happy. <laughs> the original <laughs> temple of soul. Now, when when I listen to the songs, you know, songwriters they don't write the parts for drummers. So would would Bruce start playing, and then you would just pick up the tempo and then just go with it, or how does that work when a drummer collaborates with a songwriter? Because we, I mean, I know song drummers do write charts for themselves. But I'm sure Bruce didn't write your drum parts. Did you just sit there and it was because you had that relationship, you just knew where to go with it, like the hi-hat here or this here? At, at, at certain points, he would say something, but usually it's he'd play and, and I'd just play along and he'd go, that's it, that's it. And then we'd all play and he'd go, that's it, that's it. Uh, there, There were times when like when we're doing like Rosalita, Micah Pell's in the drum in the booth. I'm in a drum booth. I got the headphones on, everything covered and things. Uh, but I could see him. So I go more. I could see when he wanted me to go more. So I just went more. Nobody's told me what licks to to, to do or anything like that. I just went more when he told me to. And uh, not in every song, but in like Rosalita, those those kind of songs, you know. And we all just be where we rehearsed good enough that we knew what we were going to do. It didn't take us long to go in and record the song. Then we'd listen, and you go, and Bruce would go, "Well, wait a minute, this could go there," and he then he'd play something. And we all go back in and do it again, but with the new part in there. You know that Rosie did that a few times. There's a few songs that that did, but just all just hearing and listening. And you know, Bruce had the final say. It's his stuff. He does what he he does what he wants. You know, now where people rip. Now, now when. In the beginning, were there the long shows back then? I mean, were they the long, like now he still plays long, but were they long shows to start? And for a drummer, that must, people don't know how much work a drummer does. Because you guys are out there, my, my friend's a drummer for Jason Aldean, and he's out there banging, banging, and they, they work a lot. But was Bruce always doing long shows? In, in, in the beginning, Steel Mill, yes, we did longer shows. But we had our share of, of shorter everything. You know, when you're opening for Chicago, it's a half hour. 
that's all you get's a half hour. So we went over and at Madison Square Garden the first night. We we did two nights there with Chicago, and the first night we did like thirty two minutes. So the next night they wouldn't let us on the jumbotron. <laughs> they wouldn't let us be on the screen. They didn't want that extra two minutes from us. Come on, better not do that again, you guys. No, you know? no. But generally, when Steel Mill did their own shows, we usually played a couple hours. As as time went on with with our thing, our shows were all, we were opening for people and and playing in different venues that would do, you know, you'd do a, a matinee and then two shows at night, uh, and uh, you were playing for forty minutes. You know, that's what we did, and an hour maybe, you know, a lot of the shows. Now they play because it's he can do what he wants, you know. He, he's doing plenty. <laughs> I don't know how they do it, to tell you the truth. You know, they're, they're quite the organization. Now, now, what's your take on drum solos? I know some drummers who love them. <laughs> I know some drummers who hate them. I, I, did you, are you a guy who, you know, when you heard, okay, Vinny, you, you got... You, you know, when he introduced the band, you get a solo. Did you just get into it, and was it? Did you already have in your mind what you were going to do, or did you change it up every night when a drum solo happens? I never did drum solos. Never did drum solos. The only the only time I've done drum solos is when the power went off <laughs> because I didn't have any power, and uh, I just keep going and do whatever comes in. The power comes on, we go back into the song. You know. Uh, that kind of thing. I got arrested one time for inciting a riot for doing exactly what I just said. Tell me, tell me, tell me. I, I want to hear that story. Tell me that story. We're in Richmond, you know, and uh, we were supposed to play until curfew or whatever that was. Uh, I don't know. It was either 11 o'clock or it was midnight, whatever it was. And we had like we had started a song. It was a long song that we did, the alarm clock song. The song itself is 35 minutes long. And uh, we were, we had like five minutes left <laughs> in the song. The power. So nothing happened there. Power came back on. We started playing to finish the song. We picked up right from where we were. So the power goes off. Again. So now I jumped off the drums. I go down, and there's this little, uh, one of the cops from the university standing in front of the power board. And I say, hey, man, you got to put the power back on so we can finish. He goes, no, the power's not going on. And somebody from the crowd over here cold cocked the cop. I hit him. This fist came from over here, and I'm, I'm standing there. And I went, "Oh, holy shit!" So the power went back on. And I jumped back up on the stage, and everybody started playing. Now the power went off again, but this time I didn't stop. I just kept playing. <laughs> Somehow Tinker got a an extension cord to somewhere where there was power, and the power all came back on. We finished. I think we did an encore, really pissed them off. But as soon as I was done off the stage, got off the stage, there was a police car right in that gym, right there. Four cops, they put me right in the back of that police car, took me to the city lockup, where I spent the night for inciting a riot, and I had to pay higher hot fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny how times have changed. I always laugh on that. When I lived in L.A., you'd go to the Greek, and it's like in the middle of a neighborhood. So all these nice houses. So the concerts have to end by like 10. And you're like, well, wait a second. It's yeah. so weird. You're like, it's music. Like, why did you build this concert, this concert hall in a neighborhood? I lived in Burbank, and we had a, the, the Starlight Bowl. And like, okay, but by the time it's concert starts to be over, by the time it's dark, I go, ooh, that sucks. Like, it's an outside concert. I want to see the beautiful sky. It's just, it's funny when these towns in sight, they have these curfews. Yeah, it's all, it's, 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 but down in, in Florida where we live, I play with my friend Tony Hall down there. And 10 o'clock, I mean, on the nose, you're done. That's it. 
there ain't no other songs after 10 o'clock. Now, I want to talk a little more about Bruce, but I want to hear about the wonderful winos. Because I heard I heard you had oral surgery, and, and you couldn't play for a while. And you, you lost, like, 15 pounds. I mean, that must be hard as a drummer to lose your energy. Because you know, I, I had a heart problem a while ago, and I lost, like, 18 pounds. And everyone's looking at me, and I'm like, no, I'm not doing drugs. I had a health issue. But for you, I mean, drumming, you love drumming. So so you you had this oral surgery. You couldn't play. So what is it like when you look at your summer and you go, shit, I can't do as many gigs as I like to do? Well, I wasn't sure exactly what my healing period was. You know, I couldn't just say, because normally what I would do, because I'm in Florida, but up here I come back in May, but in February and March, what I'm doing is booking clubs that we're going to be playing for the summer, you know. And this year, February, I mean, January, I was supposed to start to have my teeth done, and that fell through. You know, I made a special trip back. We were at the symposium, went back, that fell through. And then we, in March, I finally got the end of March. And the healing period for this is still healing. Okay, I got my teeth in. But uh, I'm still healing up, so I wasn't sure. And until mid-May, the doctor said, okay, look, you're healing pretty good, but you can go head back up to Jersey. It was too late to book anything. So we're getting pickup gigs. We're playing, you know, like this weekend. We're in Tom's River, a new place for us, Paul Christopher's Pub, right down Hooper Avenue. And it's it's going to be a new place for us. So hence, and I like playing in new places because new people get to hear us. Now, once, you, once they hear us, they're going to go, hey, these guys are okay for, for old guys, you know. They're, they're not too bad. So, uh, and we do, we play, we play good music and different music, I think, from what they're going to be used to hearing. What do you, what do you play? I mean, what, what did the wonderful, first of all, how'd you get the name Wonderful Winos? Are you all winos and you're all wonderful? Or, <laughs> or I mean, how did you get the name? Well, no, my friend Gary Cavco, Gary C, who's in the Blues Hall of Fame, he's a guitar player. He was, I lived in Jackson, New Jersey. Right around, you know, a couple of miles from this place called Lorita Winery. And he played there every Wednesday night. So I started bringing my snare drum in. And sitting and singing with him and playing with him. Just like, got a bottle of wine. You know, when I did that, that was my pay. But they started, they said, hey, you guys should play here every week. You know, you got a name or whatever. And we said, yeah, we're the Lorita Winos. Okay, so that's how the name actually came back. When we actually made a band, we weren't Lorita Winos anymore. We just became the wonderful Winos from, that's like George Carlin, the wonderful Winos. <laughs> yeah. W-I-N-O on your radio dial. Now, what kind of music so do you guys play? Well, what kind of music do you got? What kind of music are you guys playing? Are you playing original? Are you playing covers? Are you playing a mixture of all different we stuff? Do, we do some original. Gary writes songs. We do some of his original. John writes songs, a bass player. John Bryce, he, we do some of his songs. I do, as far as original songs, I do Steel Mill stuff. We do Steel Mill. So we do a smattering of, we don't do every song or anything like that, but we do a smattering of Steel Mill. And you get an idea of what Steel Mill did by hearing. If we cut out, the Steel Mill songs would be 20 minutes long, you know. We, we cut them back a little bit. We cut them back a little Cut out all the, the nonsense that had to be there. Now, you're a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. What was that like? What's everyone's, you know, everyone has says the induction was great. What was, what was it like? And you got to play with Bruce. Cause when you left with Bruce, I'm not going to go into why you left Bruce. Cause you've probably been asked that a million times and it's, it's, I don't feel like getting into it cause you may not want to talk about it. But when you, I mean, well, how, why did you leave Bruce then? If you, you gave me the schmug. What happened with you when, when you left the East street band? Oh, I got, I, I was the cog in the wheel, you know, I thought it was my band, you know, and, uh, I didn't like what I was seeing. And I was the only one probably that spoke up. I'm never, not to this day, am I the elephant that grabs the other one's tail and just blindly goes that way. So that's probably why I left, because I still was that guy that we all were at one point, you know. 
So, and what Bruce told me was, "Hey, we, we we needed a different kind of drummer than you." So that's what I always thought. But you know, people always have other ideas about what happens. But I might not fit the um, regimen of because I'm not I'm anything but regimented. I never learn how to do anything. I keep a pretty good beat, but I might soar like the bird, you know. But so you kept in touch with them, though. So when when the when the Hall of Fame came about, what was it like to be inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Because you were on the first two albums, which were great. But was it a great night? Tell me about the night. You mean the actual? Well, the, the whole day was incredible. Our sound check, you know, uh, you know, just just being there for me, I I, I never expected that. You know, uh, I was in the band, but those albums and. Bruce, you know, he, he remembers that how the band started. He says it best. You know, he says it right in his speech at the Hall of Fame. It all started with me because I said, hey, why don't you try and do this with us? You know, and uh, he said it's the wrong name for the band that I was in. <laughs> but because <laughs> I was never in Speed Limit 25, we were the downtown Tangiers, right? I guess. He didn't want to talk about Chinook too much. But anyway, uh, you know, so, but it was just, just incredible. They came, they picked us up in the limo, brought us to New York City. We had a great dinner with all, every, all, everybody in the thing and that went to the rehearsals. And then we did, when we did the show, it was just like we expected. Our induction speeches, I thought were a little, mine was one minute and eight seconds long. You know, other fellows did a lot more than that. So, you know, it was, uh, there was no jam at the end of that rock hall induction. There was no big jam because there was no more time left. <laughs> so they blamed us, I guess. Yeah. Now, now looking but back. It was just incredible, just incredible being there. Now, every year you see like, you know, the rock hall, wonderful winos, we go out there and play. This year, no, because it's all hip-hop this year going to be going on at the Rock Hall. It's all hip-hop this year. So, But next year, we're going to go back out there and play some more. And anytime, you know, like they have a new exhibit or something now, they'll say, hey, man, we want you to come out and just check out the new exhibit, see what you think of it, you know. And they bring me out there, and, and it's it's just fun hanging out with, with Greg Harris and Shelby Morris, and they're great people out there, you know. Thank God, you know, they... They made me an ambassador, so it's good. So, so you're an ambassador. You're you're a member and an ambassador. You're on two legendary albums. You have this band, the Wonderful Winos. But then you're involved in golf. Tell me about how your love for golf came. Because I read that you're a caddy, and you know, I'm like, how you know? Because caddies they they help the golf. Are you a very good golfer though? Are you a, a are you a scratch golfer, or, or when did you start golfing? You probably can't see it, but right here on my wrist. I don't think I can. Let me see if I can get. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's backwards. It says, try not to suck. That's see. my motto with golf. Let me see when I play now. But I got involved in golf uh, because, well, I'm not. I just started playing when I was in, in college, 1967 or so. I met a guy. His father was a golf pro. His name was Joe Lanzetta. His father's name was Joe. And, uh, <laughs> excuse me. But Joey, after after we'd go finish classes for the day, we'd go over to the golf course, which is the Asbury Park Golf Club. Uh, it's in one of Massa now. I forget what it's called. But um, uh, we'd play nine holes of golf. It was a nine-hole course, and I learned how to play from him. And then I didn't play for all the years with, with Bruce, with the steel mill and all of that stuff. I didn't play any golf at all. Now, I got good with Joey after a year, a year and a half, but then I didn't play. But then later on, I became involved with Chinnick again. After, this is after spring scene and all that. And we were, I was playing with Bill up in Maine, Bill Chinnick Band. And Harry King, he was a golfer. So this one place we were playing at, had a golf course attached to it up in up in Bar Harbor, so they gave us 
golf balls and clubs. It's like, yeah, go ahead out. It's early in the morning we got there. And uh, got to like the fourth hole, par three hole. And Harry King hit this ball. It went about a foot off the ground all the way to the hole. Hop. And we didn't see it anymore. I always looked for this ball behind the green. It was in the hole. I got a hole in one. And he got us all back into playing golf again. You know, but then I, uh, after all of that, I started, uh, I got a job at a country club, Hollywood country club, cleaning clubs, uh, bringing the carts in, stuff you do at a country club, you know. So I became like a, an assistant caddy master in the afternoon. And carts would come in, I'd put them away, caddies would come in, I'd make sure they get paid, you know, that, that kind of stuff. So. Eventually, I met a guy named Mark McCormick, and he was an assistant pro at the country club across the street, Deal Country Club, where I eventually became caddy master at Deal for six years. But um, I would go with Mark on his assistance tournaments on Mondays. And we went all over the place. We went in my old station wagon, and I'd play steel mill songs for him. And we we just go, and, and eventually caddying for mark all those years i mean he played we played in the the uh, u.s open 2012 out in uh, the olympic club in san francisco we played in the u.s senior open in 2000 and when was that in 17 at, uh, in salem massachusetts and then, then this past year i didn't caddy for him because i can't i got arthritis in my foot but Mark qualified again for the senior open out in Wisconsin this year, and he was out there playing. So he's quite a golfer. But that kept me going for 30 years. And through those years, I also caddied for other golfers, too. You know, and uh, keeps you young, that stuff. Now, now, you've had a very full life. Looking back at the Springsteen albums, what was your what were your favorite songs to play on those albums was it rosalita or was there a certain special song that you just loved playing in studio and then one you love playing live because i'm sure there's a difference when you're playing in studio and playing live sometimes you probably have more freedom live but what what looking some of the high points of the songs you played um but my high points are simple watching davy sanchez play the piano up close on stuff <laughs> that's a high point, you know. Me playing the drums, hey, it's just enough to be there doing it. In those days, it was like, wow, we're in the studio with CBS. Holy mackerel. You know, and you want it to be on your up and up and do your best, which is not easy. Which is not easy. So, and we were lucky, though. We rehearsed. We knew what we were doing. Just while we we're out playing those other, you know, for the first album, we were rehearsing songs for the second album. When we set up every day, we set up and do songs. So we were ready. Did you have any favorites though? Like when when you knew it was on the set list, did you said, "All right, man, I can't wait to play this." No, all of them. So to me, they were all good. I liked uh, "Lost in the Flood." Probably "Lost in the Flood" was good. For, you know. Now, now you've played with Bruce occasionally in the last 10 years. How does that happen? Like, I know you played at the Spectrum, which is is long gone. I was, you know, that's now, it's it's Wells Fargo, and the Spectrum was a legendary place. I mean, that was, I grew up with the concerts there, and it was just, you know, and then you go watch a hockey game, and you, like, see the rats running around up top as it got older. It was just, it was, end up being hellacious, but it was the place we grew up in, and as you were a little kid, You'd walk into that and you'd be in awe. But when you play with Bruce, when you occasionally play with Bruce, does he call you or or he's in town? Do you call him or how does it happen that you end up showing up and then how do you pick what song you're going to play? Well, for for example, uh, he played in Philly. This was a few years ago at the stadium, at the baseball stadium there. And, and, uh, and that, like a couple of weeks later, he was playing at, at Giants Stadium. So I had my friend DJ Jeff, who was no longer with us, and, and myself. We all went to uh, the Philly show. 
And what I do is I just I contact whoever his road manager is. I don't contact him. You know, well, that Spectrum show, though, Bruce did say, hey, I haven't seen you. He called me and said, I haven't seen you in a while. You should come to this show. So I did that. But but the other one, after the show was over, I went up and I'm standing and they got all the limos parked on the way out. They're all waiting for all these guys to come up from the stage. And we were all standing up on the top up here. And one by one, I'm standing there, and there's Van Zandt, there's Gary, and they all come over and started talking to me, you know, because we were just standing after the show was over, and they were just going to go get in their cars and go. So Bruce is coming up, and he's in the golf cart, you know, and he sees me talking to these guys, and he gets out of that golf, he stops the golf cart, gets out of it, comes over, gets in the middle, and goes, why don't anybody fucking tell me you're here? Because you could have played a couple with me tonight. I said, well, I, you know, I don't know. We're standing right there. You know, so he says, well, I'm playing Giants Stadium in a couple weeks. You better come up and play a couple with me there. You know, so. <laughs> I says, well, I think I'm booked. I better see what night I'm available. <laughs> I said to him, you know. And, he's, and he just looked at me funny, you know. <laughs> but we we worked it out, and I went to a Wednesday show or something like that. So how'd you pick it the song? How, like, did, did did he ask you what song do you want to play? Or I mean, like, the, uh, you know, he said we're going to do this tonight. Where do you remember this? I go, yeah. He goes, okay. <laughs> what was the feeling when you came out? The crowd must have gone berserk. They must have gone the nuts. Crowd, the crowd goes. The crowd goes kablooey, and and I do too, and. Uh, it, it's funny the way things happen, you know, and, and unless the lights are on, you really can't see the crowd from up there. It's like it's very dark, you know, so you hear them and you see the people behind you, you know, but, uh, it, it you know, stupid stuff happens like sitting on when they put the earphones in your ears and you're going to have to go up and play at Giant Stadium and you sit down and you pull the earphones out of your ears and now you have no monitor. So they learn to put them, you know, like, all kinds of good stuff happens, and, and it's all, in, and in Philly, they brought me out. It was nice, you know, in the front after I got done playing. But I do Spirit and Night, or I, I did uh, <laughs> uh, Saint, uh, uh, The Wild, the Innocent, The East Street Shuffle, the song The East Street Shuffle. I went to Giant Stadium, and we were out. Dawn and I were out front just standing there, no crowd, nobody in there yet, really early. But one by one, the guys in the band start to come in, get on the stage. So Max is up there, I say hello to Max, and Gary comes in, I say hello to Gary. So they both do some fiddling around, and Gary comes down and starts talking to me, and then Max comes down. So I, I said, you know, hey, Gary, just just talking to Bruce, because Bruce saw me when when we first when I first, when he first came in and he asked me if I remembered, you know, uh, the, the wild, the, the innocent, you know, the, the East street shuffle song. And I said, Gary, you guys do it exactly. Uh, like we used to do it. Right. He goes, Oh yeah, it's the same, but different, you know? And I knew right there I was in for it, you know, but actually if we got, I got to rehearse it and it turned out all right. Yeah, and I had a drum solo in there. I never knew what I was gonna do. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I so I want to thank you for coming on. So tell me about the wine. How many shows? Where can people find out where the winers are playing? I know you're playing the Wonder Bar August twelfth, which is eleventh or twelfth. Yeah, because it's the uh, night before. I went to Stockton State here in New Jersey. We're having a reunion on the thirteenth. So I'm thinking I might have to say to my wife, you know, we may have to we have to may go down and go down there Friday night and go see you and then go to the reunion Saturday because it's all in the Wonder Bar. But um, So wh where can people find out when you guys are playing? I mean, how long, just for the summer, are you playing here and then you go back to Florida? We, we're doing stuff and there's still gigs, you know, coming up uh, that uh, we don't know about. You know, there's, there's uh, we play at Teat Steakhouse out there. 
like I said, everything was booked. So if somebody cancels out, Pete, they're going to, you know, Rich from Peach is going to call me and say something. There's a uh, place up in uh, Lambertville that we might be playing at, but once again, they're all booked. And if somebody don't come, they will call us and we will go and we'll play. And that that's all we need to do. We do play every uh, Labor Day up in the Adirondack Mountains at a place called the Sport Island Pub. It's in Northville, New York, and we do the Ring of Fire, which it's on a giant lake, the Lake Sacandaga, and everybody around the lake lights these giant bonfires for Labor Day. So we play at that. Yeah, up there every year we've been doing it now god since i got inducted into the rock hall and that's that's fun and they're they're always gigs so and the wonder bar and of course we got the one this weekend at christopher's which is to me going to be fun the wonder bar is always a great time one one final question the rock and roll hall of fame what what did you do with the statue you got do you, do you don't they give you a statue yep so where is it and, and it, it's really heavy too <laughs> but it's in uh our place in Florida. Do you it's also there. do you also keep gold records on the wall or no? They're they're down in Florida also. This down the hallway. It's all in a hallway right there. Do you ever look at them and say, "God damn, I've been blessed in my life"? No, I I go by there every day and think that. Sure, and I got Dawn's picture right in the middle of all of that, and I'm really blessed. Well, that's awesome, and you know, I want to thank you. This is great, uh, Vinny. And uh, people, please go. I know they have a page. The uh, the, the the wonderful winos have a Facebook page, and then you the, also the wonderful winos have a Facebook page, and so do I, Vinny V I N I Lopez. And that's where you see most. You know, that's where you get it most. Where where we're playing is on my page or the winos page, and Gary puts stuff out too. And the clubs, some of them advertise, some of them don't. You know. But that's that doesn't matter. So, so people go go check out Vinny. Go get his page out if you if you go, go to the show. What's that? You know, the Christopher's Pub is free. So go to a free go see free music. Go support the arts, uh, people. I that's, for me, I have a show August nineteenth at Pizzeria Uno. I only I only do three stand up shows a year. I'll be there August nineteenth. It's a Saturday. Go to my website coopertalk.net. You can find over nine hundred and sixty five episodes. You can email me at cooper at coopertalk.net. Remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you next time.